We're starting a new series here this morning, and this comes out, I've made a mention of it before, that there was a, uh, my mom was actually one who came and asked me a question that she and a, uh, another person was, was asking, and this is why it's always good to ask questions. Don't ever think I get tired of questions, or a question is something that, well, that's just too simple. No, questions are good. So she was asking me a question, because somebody uh, that she was listening to had said that ambition was, I forget, it was always rooted in discontentment or, or something of, of that nature. So I was thinking about it. I said, well, that's not right. And so we talked about it a little bit, and, and uh, the end result was, you know, we we're kind of filling out the answer to that question as we we're discussing it. And I said, because uh, one of the examples brought up was Adam and, and Eve, that they had ambition that took them, uh, got them kicked out of the garden. And I said, oh, I said, well, here we go. He says, well, no, that was ambition that went beyond the boundaries that God had set up. And so with that, I began to meditate on that one particular word, boundaries. And as I was meditating on this, this is something I shared with you that the Lord told me about as I, as I was meditating on this. It's, no, it's not an audible voice or anything like that. It's just something comes up in your spirit. And um, it came up in my spirit. It says, Steve, you said you pray this way all the time, but you don't teach it. I said, oh, I guess I ought to teach it. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about boundaries. Do you know that God is in the boundaries? He has the boundaries of the promised land. And if you would, call up our picture that we have on that. We have a picture of the promised land and the, the boundaries that are there. You see that area of green? And Daryl got me all set up here today. He got me with my charger. Which Where did I put it? There it is. <laughs> I knew it was in there. It must have fixed in with the keys. Got it to the right setting. This area here is the area of the promised land. This area here is the area they actually possessed. They did not take the boundaries, did they? Now, most of the time, when Israel had gone in there under, under uh, Joshua, they were focused from the river to the sea. And then they took a few of the areas that were on this side of the river, and that was the half-tribe of Manasseh, um, Gad, and um, I, what was the other one, Reuben? I think that there were two and a half tribes that, that settled on this part of the, because they had conquered the land. And they said, let's just not let it go to waste. So, but if you go to Exodus chapter 23 and verse 31, I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. The river there is Euphrates. From the, uh, it would be going from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile, to the great river Euphrates, it would go from the sea to the sea. All this territory and Israel never took it. Now that's the boundary that God set up. I could show you in there where the Garden of Eden is. But we're not going to take all that much time for, for that. But the Garden of Eden is in that territory. And uh, we, we don't know exactly, I'm not going to tell you we know exactly where it is, but we sure have a pretty good idea 
of where that is because of the boundaries that we are told about with that. Now, in the Garden of Eden, there was a restriction on a certain tree, wasn't there? You can eat from any of the trees. He didn't say you can do anything you want. He just said you can eat from any of the trees. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from it. So what did they do? They went over and they they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. Now there are two types of boundaries in the Word of God. There are moving boundaries and there are stationary boundaries. And um, did I have a second picture of the... Let me make sure I get to it. This is the area of the promised land with our modern day map. Look at what it covers. Syria, parts of Iraq, parts of Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan is in there, uh, Lebanon, all these, all these territories are inside of the, uh, the promised land. Now those are stationary boundaries. The river may move a little bit, but they, uh, they basically stay where they are. And the seas, you know, they, they may change borders a little bit, but they basically stay where they are. But today, we're looking at a moving boundary. And we're going to pick that up in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to go back to verse 11 just because there's a nice little thing in here for you to, to know about that probably you would have read over before and have ignored it. Now, if anyone at the end of the service, if you say, I didn't ignore that, I knew that. <laughs> you can tell me about it afterwards. I'd, I'd really love to hear that you didn't ignore this. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 11, And it shall be when the Lord brings you in the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal, which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, uh, What is this? That you shall say to him, uh, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. I shall be as a sign, it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now in this it contains a few things. First off, the firstborn of the children of Israel, the first male, the firstborn male, he would, um, he was actually destined by the original plan of God to become the priest. The priests were not going to be made up of a tribe. They were going to be made up of the firstborn. But, of course, you all know that when they were at the mountain and they came down and Moses found them in rebellion, and he said, who is on the Lord's side? And the tribe of Levi set themselves apart. And God said, I'm setting you apart now. But that was a change in plans. God originally wanted a nation of priests instead of a tribe. So what we have in the New Testament is now a nation of priests. That's, uh, that was the original plan. That didn't uh, come about because of Israel's disobedience. But what I, want, what I wanted to bring you to was again in verse 13, but every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb and if you will not redeem it then you shall break its neck. 
why is the donkey set apart from all the others? Now, what would happen if you had a firstborn of a lamb or a firstborn of an oxen or something like that? Then what you would do is you would take it, you would dedicate it to the Lord. It was the Lord's. And so it would be sacrificed. And in the part of the sacrifice that would be done there, the priest would take of this and they would burn part of it off or boil part of it off or they would treat it as the law had said and then they would eat the rest of it. This was part of their food for their substance that would come in. But a donkey was set apart because a donkey is unclean. Therefore, you can't eat it. It was a great beast of burden, but it was not something they could eat. So therefore, it couldn't be brought in as a sacrifice because it was an unclean animal. Unclean animals were not brought in as sacrifices, only clean ones were. So it was no good for sacrifice. And so what he said was that you could redeem it. If you couldn't redeem it with a, with a lamb, then you had to break its neck, render it useless and kill it. I'm told from some of the, the histories that they couldn't even burn the carcass. They had to take it out far away and bury it somewhere because if you burn the car- carcass, then the ashes would get used for something possibly. And it had to become completely unused. So they'd take it out somewhere and they would bury it out there if they did that. So what you would have here is that you would have a decision to make once a, a male donkey was born into your, your grouping, into your livestock. And you would have to decide, is the donkey worth the price of a lamb? And if you decided that a donkey was worth the price of a lamb, then you would sacrifice a lamb for the, for the donkey and you could keep the donkey alive. The lamb took the death for it. And that's what they would do with an unclean animal as a donkey. If they had any other unclean animals, I'm sure that they would do the same thing. And if you're wondering why that is put in Scripture is that, and the, and the emphasis here is pass this on to your children. Tell them about this. It's simply this. You are the unclean donkey. And you were redeemed by a lamb. Wow. Now, the reason it's put in this way is that all through these generations, son after son, family after family, was going to be coming and making a decision several times in their life. Is this unclean donkey worth more to me than a lamb? And each family would have to be making this decision a number of times. So when the time comes for God to decide, is this unclean donkey worth the price of a lamb then they can say I have been there I have made that decision my grandfather made that decision his father before him made that decision all through these things we have made this decision we didn't know we were making it for this but this is what we were making it for that God decided that we were worth more than the lamb how many times do you think that a donkey was decided not to be the worth the price of the lamb but here, it was, it was redeemed. And we were redeemed. So, that's just a little note that if we didn't go back far enough, we wouldn't have seen it. Because in verse 16, it said, It shall be a sign on your hand as a frontlet between your eyes, for, your, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This whole thing of redeeming the firstborn was to remind them of what happened over in Egypt.
Verse 17, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. <laughs> How many times did the children of Israel change their mind and decide to turn to return to Egypt? <laughs> God knew about it ahead of time. Of course He did. But He decided, let's, let's avoid this one. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you can pull up our Exodus route that we have, just the, the first the first map, the, the still one. I have probably referred to this book a few times, but if you haven't uh, heard or you haven't uh, picked it up yet, there is a book out that is called The Gold of Israel. It is well worthwhile reading. It deals a lot with the um, uh, architect or archaeology of uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. There's a lot of history in it, but it reads like a spy novel. It's fantastic read. It reads just like a spy novel. Once you pick this thing up, you will have a hard time putting it down. It reads really, really well. It's two guys who went on search of the real Mount Sinai, the real Red Sea crossing where all these things actually happen instead of the standard one because the standard one that people generally use is not it. But this this will uh, help you out with it. But he took them instead of by way of, the, of uh, along here on the coast to go right on up to, to Israel which is the shorter of the ways to go. He uh, avoided them so that they wouldn't go and face war right away. And so he brought them down here. Now the traditional way is to go all the way down to here. But this is uh, probably a better a better one. Uh, Baal Zephon. And also there's another town that's right over in here. I've also seen them pitched over in this area. But this is where it really looks like that they led them because there is a memorial right there they found that is a memorial that the Bible says they built on the other side of the crossing. And it's right there. Now how in the world you can verify anything else, I don't know. But that's what they had done. This is the place where they had crossed over. People have always made this uh, assumption that, uh, you know, they, depending upon where they crossed, they may have just crossed in a few inches of water. And uh, that's not a big deal to have crossed over a few inches of water. If that was the case, then the Lord drowned an army of Egyptians in a few inches of water, which is quite a miracle to do. That is not what happened. They did go over a, uh, an area. If you do happen to pull this book out and read it, you will find out that these guys went under the water in this uh, area where the crossing was, and they found there a peninsula that was that raised up. It's like a sandbar in the ocean. And uh, it was still pretty, probably deep into the water, but it was actually, it would have made a very nice bridge to carry all the people that they could have walked on through. And uh, made a, God just had prepared a nice, nice little shelf underneath the water <laughs> and had put that there. They found chariot wheels in this area that date back to these Egyptians and a number of other things that were, that were found in there. So that's what, uh, where the, the crossing would be. You can see it's uh, fairly substantially, substantial in width and also in depth. It would have uh, not been where these things could have withdrawn to a few inches. There was substantial water that was there. Uh, coming on out of there, you would come over to here, which would be the the uh, Mount Horeb, right, right over there. But the the Mount Sinai, which actually, if you if you read the book, you will find out this mountain has scarring. It has a place that Moses described where he hid, 
while the uh, presence of God passed by. It has an altar at the foot of this mountain where the children of Israel had built this to, um, uh, for some of the things they were not supposed to be doing. But uh, a number of these things were found and they even found a little bit of gold that was still left over from the, when Israel had, had gone on through. So fantastic read. A lot of pictures in it too. If you, uh, it's, it's one of those things that's worthwhile getting the hard copy because you'll see the pictures that are in that. But anyway, that's, uh, that's the path that he would have taken them instead of just directly up over here into the land of Israel because he knew they, they had to get some things ready first. Go over towards our second one, our second picture on this. I want you to see something for this. Here he is, he's going to zoom in. Do you see this little plot of, of sand right here? Yeah, the children of Israel coming in here, they all could have congregated on the, on the shore waiting for the, the next move by God. You don't see that all over the place in there, but you do see it right there. So anyway, let's go on back to our reading here in verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had, had placed the children of Israel under Salomon, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So when he said he led them, this is apparently how he led them. If you can pull up our last picture that we have for this. Um, I wanted to give you a, a vision. This is uh, There's nothing factual about this. This is just something that uh, very well could be. When it talks about a pillar, we're not just talking about a cloud in the sky. We're talking about a pillar of, of, uh, of cloud that was there. And that would branch out into the top and act as a covering. Because the description we have from Moses is that it acted as a covering during the day to give them shade. Because if you're traveling out in the desert and the wilderness, that, um, you know, you, you, shade would be a good thing. It says a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. We are not talking two different things. It is the exact same manifestation. It doesn't change out. God doesn't pull out the cloud and put it in the fire. What you have is a cloud that in the nighttime would light up. As if, have you ever seen one of those clouds where lightning is going on inside and it looks like it's on fire? And it would be lit up. And it would be bright enough that it could be like day when God needed to guide them. And so you see on the right side, the, uh, like, a, like a fire, I think it was more looking like a cloud that was illuminated. But uh, Moses didn't give a whole lot of description. He is not describing anything natural. To Moses, this is 100% completely supernatural, not something that happens on a natural way at all and just happened to happen for them and they follow it. This is something that had not happened before, had not happened again. God led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And this is where it showed up. And it stayed with them all the days that they were in the wilderness. It went to them and it guided them and told them where to go. What we learn about this pillar is that when the pillar of cloud stopped, Israel stopped. When the pillar of cloud moved, Israel moved. That their border was mobile and they needed to be wherever it was. And to venture outside of that, of that border you'd be in trouble because there were dangers around. 
But underneath that pillar, there was safety. Now it gets real interesting here in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Fahiroth between Migdol and the sea opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea for Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. And the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now understand, God did not take them the long way because he was unable to deliver them from the Philistines. He was taking them the long way because of the people's limitations. Because they had limitations on their part. Because of those limitations, God had to take them in, in, in ways other than the way he was, was ideal. So I put this question in your, in your outline for you. Has God ever taken you a longer, more delayed path because of your own limitations? And how many of you got mad at God for taking you that path? Man, we could have done this a whole lot faster <laughs> if we just went, th- if we did this. And God's sitting up there and said, yeah, but I know your limitations. You couldn't take that. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with it. <laughs> but you guys would have a hard time. And so he took them the longer way because they were not ready for it. Do you know if you are not ready for something, God cannot take you that way. You have put a limitation on God. In Exodus 14, verse 5, Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants, not just Pharaoh, his servants too, was turned against against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he also took 600 choice chariots of all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, uh, the children of Israel went out with boldness. So he took 600 chariots and all the chariots. So he took the 600 best. They had, uh, I don't know, extra spikes, whatever it was that they had. Whatever you'd make a, a chariot good, these ones, they were the best ones they had. And they took all the chariots. They took captains over each one of them. So the Egyptians, well, verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So here's the children of Israel leaving Egypt. We are bold, man. We are bad. (laughs) Stinking Pharaoh. Our God showed him. And they're bold. They're doing good. (laughs) Not realizing that God took them the lesser way because they're not as bold as they think. (laughs) So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Phiharoth. Phiharoth, sorry, before the, before, before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. That boldness didn't last very long, did it? Because it's based on natural stuff. You may be bold in your faith based upon what reports you got from the doctor. Based upon what your bank account looks like. 
based upon a review you got on your job. You can be real bold that God has said, God has done, God is prospering. You can be real bold about stuff. But then when the tables turn, when something doesn't quite seem to go the way that you want it to, all of a sudden we become very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They went from being bold to being afraid. But are they where they're supposed to be? They're with the pillar. That's where they're supposed to be. Got to be with the pillar. When this pillar showed up, they've never seen anything like this before. Here comes this pillar. What are you supposed to do? We're supposed to follow it. And at nighttime, it lit up like they'd never seen it before. Wow, this is... Wow. And it, it lit up. Oh, that's awesome. This was spectacular. Can you imagine Pharaoh? I mean, if they saw what they were doing, if they saw where they were, and that they, they determined that, uh, well, you know, they're wandering around the wilderness... If they determined that, did they not also see the pillar? Wouldn't they have seen the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire? Surely they would have seen some of these things. Verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is, Is this not the... Word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight you, or fight for you and you shall hold your peace. <laughs> now Moses hasn't seen this happen yet he just has it on good authority that it's going to happen and so he's taken what is still future and declared it to be as if it was so hadn't he and that's not just a New Testament principle to call those things that be not as though they were this is what Moses is doing back here in the Old Testament and we know God did it in the book of Genesis but here's a man doing it He's calling that thing to to be, even though it's not yet. Well, they've already got their their fate planned. Well, you know, we're going to die. Here come them chariots. Here come them Egyptians. They're just going to wipe us out. When really, the Egyptians did not come to wipe them out. The Egyptians came to bring them back. They didn't want to let that free labor go. So, Moses makes this declaration. Verse 15, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? I didn't think it was Moses crying to God, but he may be talking about yous, other people. Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So I know it's shocking that Israel complained. 
We would not have expected that out of this group, but uh, they did. And they complained about Moses. They complained to Moses. They complained about the plan. You know, they're following. They're going boldly. They liken this plan. They come on over here and they like the plan until they see the, the Egyptians chasing them. Then all of a sudden the plan's no good. Now all of a sudden the plan they were following is no good and they knew better. How many times do the children of, of God know better than whatever leader they gave them? It, it's constant. This is what they did. God's not too pleased with it. That's why the Word of God gives warnings. We've shown it many times. It's hard to go through the Word of God without seeing. Stop being critical of, of people. You find some minister. God led him to get a, a plane. And you say, that's a use. That's not a good use of funds. It's not for you to decide. God's not going to give you the plan. He's going to give the person the plan who needs it. He doesn't go around giving everybody the same plan. He talks to the one that needs the plan and gives it to them. So while second-guessing his wisdom in these areas, why would we also receive his wisdom in our own situation? If I am going to become critical of people that God has put in the body of Christ and the plan that God gave to them, why is God going to speak any wisdom to me? Would you do it? If you were God, and I was out here complaining about Brother Brother Price, some of the things that he was doing, or Brother Creflo Dollar, some of the things he was doing, or you pick your name, anyone that you wanted, Brother Keith Moore, if I went on down there and saw the church and said, well, I don't think that he should have picked this color or spent this money or something like that, and we just start, start doing it. Why in the world is God going to speak to me wisdom that I need if I'm picking on the wisdom he spoke to other people? And then these same people who go about criticizing other people and what they heard from God, these same people will talk about the plan of God they got. And yet I cannot see how God is going to speak any plan to someone who sits around complaining. Well, amen anyway. <laughs> if you need wisdom from God, not only do you need to ask, you need to quit cutting up what wisdom God has already put out. Don't be doing it. Well, let's go on here. In, um, did we read over verse 18? Verse 19. And the angel of God, hmm, doesn't say the angel of the Lord here, but it may very well be the same one. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came, this is an amazing verse right here. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus there was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. The exact same presence of God materialized to one side as darkness and to the other side as light. Isn't that amazing? If you ever wonder why the light that you have from the gospel seems to be darkness to others, it's because it's the same thing. 
When the Spirit of God shows up in your life, He's going to give you light, but other people are going to see it as darkness. What it's going to do, though, is it keeps those away from you. I'm not going to get near that one. Uh Uh-uh. They're going to see you as, as no good. But you see, these Egyptians wanted to get to where Israel was. They wanted to capture them and take them back. They saw them as being trapped. And it was extremely inviting. There were mountains to the one side, mountains to the other side, and a river, or I'm sorry, a sea before them. So the only thing they could do was go back by the way they came or go forward. But to the Egyptians, they have no boats. So they can't go forward. And if they come back, then they come right to the Egyptians. So the Egyptians feel like they're in a good position here. Then all of a sudden, this pillar of cloud moved from the front where it had been and shifted to the back. And it became to them darkness. But to Israel, it was light. Now, I'll jump ahead on you a little bit here. But this was so much light in this pillar that as they went across the, the Red Sea, it was as if it was daytime. And for the Egyptians, it was nighttime. And that was the morning watch where all this stuff happened with the Egyptians. So this all went over overnight where God parted the sea and brought them through. And they were not restricted to going during the daytime. They could go whenever. And you see, Egypt didn't know what was going on because they're in darkness. They can't see what's going on with the plan of God until finally God moves the pillar and now they can see. Now imagine this. You have just been through 10 plagues that decimated your country. The last one killed the heir to the throne for, the, for Pharaoh. Many of the other people that were there in the army had lost the son on that night because of the, the power of God was manifest in that way. And they didn't put the, the blood on the doorposts. They had the frogs and the gnats and all the other plagues that had gone through. And they saw the power of God. And then they're chasing a group of people that has a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that they have never seen before. And then this pillar moves from the front of them to the back and they become in completely complete darkness so that they cannot get near where they want to go. And you know the story. God parted the waters and by the time they are able to see again, they see a Red Sea parted and the children of Israel had already gone through. And they decide, let's go get them. Just understand, people in the natural, people who don't serve God, are capable of incredible stupidity. (laughs) They're uh, capable of some incredibly stupid things to come against you. Don't be afraid of stupid people. You serve a very wise God. See, the children of Israel saw all this as God led us into a trap. And God says, it's no trap for you. 
a trap for the people behind you. But they didn't trust their God that much. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind because God gave him this to do. He had to go out there and stretch his hand over. I mean, if God wants to do it, why doesn't he just do it? Why does he need Moses to go out there and stretch his hand over the, or stretch his uh, staff over the sea? Why should, if God wants to do it, why doesn't he just do it? I mean, if God wants to heal a guy's blind eyes, why not just do it? Why spit and make mud? Why make them pick up a bed? Why make them do these things? Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went up into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left and the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and he troubled the army of Egypt. <laughs> that seems pretty simple right there, doesn't it? He troubled the army of Egypt. Now in the word of God, I believe I wrote the reference of it in there for you in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 8. I'm not going to go there. Uh, it's a longer verse. I just wanted to see if you, if you want to go back there and see this, you can but it's in, as they were rejoicing about what God had done. They used this terminology that God congealed the waters. And if you wonder how it is that God made the waters stand up on one side and the other, it was not because of a wind. The wind is what separated them. But the wind is, is not what kept them there. Because that would be a pretty tough thing to be walking on through with that kind of wind that would hold water up. God used the wind to separate the waters and to cause a divide. But what he basically did with this wind was he froze the water. Now this is the Red Sea. He froze salt water. Wow. Now you can freeze salt water. But it has to be a lot colder than what it is for fresh water. It's not, it's not impossible to freeze salt water. Just go out to the North or South Pole and take a look at the icebergs. Guess what that is? That's ice in the salt water. Now, the salt usually separates from it, and the, the uh, icebergs are usually fresh water. But you can fr make frozen stuff out of salt water, and if God can do it on the poles, He can do it right here. And what He did was He froze a wall on one side and on the other. And so this is what's holding it up. Now, have you ever walked through and seen frozen water on one side or the other? scary and the children of Israel were to walk on through and see this frozen water on one side or the other and he let them get all the way on the cross where do we leave off at 24 he let them get all the way across this And the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. God can see right through it. The sun may not be able to get through all that strong, but God can sure see through it. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians and he took off their chariot wheels. Now he didn't say he caused their chariot wheels to come off, did he? It says, and he took off their chariot wheels. Can you imagine God 
down there in the in the sun, just plucking them right off. Just they're just going around there. Maybe he's got some angels in there helping them out. They're going up to the different ones, just pulling them right off, and they can't see them. Can you imagine how much fun you would have in the army? Just going up there, they can't see, and just and you got the strength to do it, just plucking those wheels right on off. Now, if you take a chariot wheel off, what happens? Well, that axle just drives into whatever ground is there, and it just comes to a halt. It's not going to go. And this probably does not happen all that often. I'm sure it happens, but it probably does not happen all that much. And now all of a sudden, chariot after chariot after chariot after chariot is having their wheels come off. And they had 600 choice ones in there. These are good ones. These are the Lexuses. You know, the, the Mercedes, the whatever the ones are out there. The Lincolns, the Cadillacs, the, the, the top-notch ones. These are the, these are the money ones. And the wheels are coming off. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. <laughs> yeah, that would be, that would be difficult. And the Egyptians said, let us free, flee from the face of Israel. For the light Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now they suddenly get some wisdom. But understand their predicament. They are in the Red Sea with water on the, on the north and water on the south. And the only way they can go is backwards. So they start heading that way. But the Lord has other ideas. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. Now again, why does he need Moses to do this? If God wants to do it, why don't they just do it? If God wants you healed, why doesn't he just heal you? If God wants you set free and delivered, why doesn't he just do it? But he tells Moses, stretch out your hand. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So, he causes it to collapse from the furthest point away from them and move toward them. Now, that's even worse than having a crash around your sides because you're seeing it coming. Oh, man. That's where we were supposed to go. We can't go that way anymore. (laughs) And it's coming down your way. Oh, what a frightening sight that must be. And when you crash all that water down, it does, you don't just, uh, you know, you don't just float back up to the surface. That's, that's something, I've told you some of my stories down in the, in the ocean. And, uh, this is many years ago. Uh, there's one time when, um, a buddy of mine, Jay, some of you have uh, been around here long enough to remember, he were, he and I were down there at the shore together. You know, our wives, families, stuff like that. We're right down there and we're, we're riding waves. I love riding waves. I just love riding waves. And so I was out there riding waves. And on this particular day, I got an idea of why people use the, um, you know, those little boards. I found out why people use them. Because I really thought they were kind of useless. We could just get out there. And so we're just body surfing. We're just going out there and we're getting the, catching the wave. And I mean, we were, we were good at this. We catch that wave and we go and we had good waves. Not like those Florida waves down there. Those wimpy things. These were, these were good Jersey waves. And I would say they're probably rated in the area of four to six feet. Now that's borderline body surfing material right there. And you gotta be careful because if you catch too big of a wave, it can break you. 
And so I was riding one in particular. Oh, man, it looked like it was going to be a good ride. I, I can still remember it. I can picture it to this day. I, I got on that wave. It was a tall wave. And I, oh, man, this is going to be a fun ride. We were going to town. And I'm riding on down there. And all of a sudden, that wave just uh, crashed. And it snapped me down, threw me down into the, the sand, tumbled me around a few times. But I felt my back snap. And for a little bit, I couldn't breathe because I was under the water, so it didn't matter. <laughs> not supposed to breathe under the water. But I felt it. So, oh. And I understood now why you have that board, because that board gives you a little extra support. <laughs> so when that snap happens, you've got something else there to, to hold you in. Uh, I can't say that I always use the board after that, but if I had big enough waves, I would. <laughs> I learned on that one to... Um, to be a little careful. Now, that was a four to six foot wave. Folks, what we're looking at here is not a four to six foot wave. We're looking at some mammoth waves coming down and these guys are in armor. Not a single one makes it out. Hmm. Verse 28, Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh. They came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now see, by forming this wall this way, what the, what the Lord actually did was with all this army coming towards them, the army only has one place to go. They can't go around and flank them from the front. They can't come in and flank them from the right or from the left. The only thing they can do is come up behind them. So from a military standpoint, their choices were few, but they didn't see the enemy as being all that formidable. And so they just charged ahead. Normally, they would have flanked them. You would have sent somebody else around trying to pinch them in, but they could not get their army across the sea. They didn't bring anything to do all that. They made haste to get out of there. And they brought the chariots, but they didn't bring any kind of transports to get their stuff across. So God put them in a position to where the enemy that wanted them dead, wanted, I'm sorry, not dead, but wanted to bring them back, could not get to them on their right, could not get to them on their left, and could not get to them from the front. All they could do was come from the behind, which is where the pillar was. Verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. How long do you think that lasted? Get, a, get out to the next chapter or two, you'll find out. <laughs> it didn't last very long. Because as soon as they didn't have any water... Yep. You got, you led us into a wrong place. So right now they believe the Lord and His servant Moses. Until the next time. But what I want you to see from this story, this opening story that we'll get into here and others will, will follow is that this was a moving boundary. And God sometimes have some moving boundaries for you and some stationary ones. Now stationary ones are commands that God gives like don't get into idolatry. That's stationary. That's the way it always is. Uh, don't be unequally yoked. His command to be, be a tither. 
to be uh, uh, these these things. These are stationary commands. These are things that God says. Here's the command. Let's see what you do with it. And what happens is people always want to try and move it. Well, as God really said, I shouldn't be, uh, I shouldn't date anyone who's unsaved. I mean, I can't really minister to them if I if I'm not dating them. Now I'll tell you, I may not have followed all the Lord's commands. And there may, there are certainly some ones that I, when I was a younger, I certainly, uh, <laughs> went against some stuff and did some stuff I wasn't probably supposed to be doing. Don't ask me what they are because I've forgotten every single one of them stories. <laughs> I just know that they're probably out there. <laughs> but one thing I do know is that I never dated a girl that would have been close to, to being unequally yoked. Never asked them out, never looked at them. Didn't do a thing with them. If I knew someone was not uh, not saved, they were not even pretty. <laughs> I mean, I'd have disdain for them. What do you mean? You want me to date? Huh? What? I mean, I just, just no. I wouldn't even give them the time of day. Not that everybody was knocking on my door. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying that the few who did, I just looked at with total awe and disgust. Like what? And um, we left them. Left them going. I have not had that many offers, but I did have some. And I left them standing. I do not need that kind of stuff in my life. If they, if I didn't meet them uh, at church, or if I didn't meet them and find out that they were, uh, were, were, were uh, filled with God, if I didn't know that, I don't care about the rest of it. But you see... You can. And if you do. Now just think about this. If, if I cannot take a boundary that God says for me, do not do this, and I go ahead and do it, then how much can God really speak to me about anything else? But constantly you will hear Christians who will bypass His commands and talk about all the things that God has said. Which spirit do you think they're listening to? Now, boundaries will free you. And that's a weird thing to, to, to uh, think about. But if you have boundaries and you operate within them, there is freedom for you. If your parents, when you were growing up, knew that you would operate within certain boundaries, they would let you go certain places, wouldn't they? But if they know, no, you're going to break everything that you can, then they don't let you go. Because if you will, of your own accord, keep you within certain boundaries, you get more freedom. I told you the stories of my dog. I taught her the boundaries. And uh, because of it, gave me freedom. I was able to do things with that dog. That dog had more freedom than most dogs. Other dogs probably looked and said, I wish I had that kind of freedom. But they didn't have it because because they wouldn't listen. You have to be able to stay within the boundaries. If you can if you can be trusted to stay within the boundaries, then God can do things. I, there was a there was a, a recent Wednesday night service we did, and I don't think I realized this until we were going through it. But we went through it with Ezekiel, and um, I saw in there the first time I've ever seen it. I made note of it when we were when we were going through that um, he was given a. A particular command in the beginning, make sure you say exactly what I say. And he was given a time to do something, and he had, God told him to do stuff, and it was hard. 
I think he had to dig through a wall instead of just going through a window. But it was important that he did it. And he did it exactly the way God said. And it just seems like the doors are now opened up for Ezekiel. And God will speak things to Ezekiel as this book goes on. It gives details of prophecies that no other prophet was ever given. We'll get into that. It's still down the road in our Wednesday night series. But you see, he stayed within the boundaries. And because of it, God had more freedom with him. If you will stay within the boundaries that God gives you, you will have more freedom. Now understand this, your enemy is out to get you. There are stationary boundaries and there are moving boundaries. If God is trying to get you through a pillar of fire or something like that to move from here to there, then the enemy wants you to stay. If God wants you to stay, what's the enemy want to do? Wants you to move. So no matter what topic, no matter what situation is in your life, you will always have the choice of staying or moving. And understand, God is on one side and the enemy is on the other. We have had people, I've seen people, who God blessed them in a job and gave it up. God blessed them with a house and they gave it up. God blessed them with a car and they gave it up. Just moved on. Well, I just think God wants me to... And they, they did it and other people would come around and say, God's not in that. God's not in that. They didn't listen. Because the enemy wants to you to move to a place. Not, I'm not talking physical place. I'm just He wants you to move out from where God has you for the purpose of destruction. Remember what he did with Lot? He moved him out. Now we have a host of examples in the Word of God. I don't want to give them all out here to all right now. But there's a host of examples of, of uh, people that God wanted to stay put in what he was having them do and Satan was trying to get them out and other people that God is trying to move them and Satan is trying to get them to stay put. Understand, whatever, God plan, whatever God's plan for you is, Satan will do the opposite. With this particular thing, the pillar of fire, the pillar of fire would show up well, it would be there. It never went away. It was there when the pillar of fire moved. Israel moved. You got everything ready. Can you imagine sitting there and say, oh, the pillar of fire is moving. I really didn't want to hike today. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to pack everything off today. I was, today was my day off. Today I had plans to go fishing. I was going to relax a little bit. I was to, you know, we had plans and then God says, I need you to go over here and do this. Or we have plans, I'm going to go over here and do this, and God says, stay put. Just understand, God's plans are sometimes to move and sometimes to stay. God is not always into moving when He wants you to stay, and God is not always into staying when He wants you to move. You've got to determine which it is. But you see, when He gives you commands, how easy is it for you to stay with Him? Think about this. How many heard the command, don't be anxious? What's the enemy do? Tries to get you to be anxious. Doing everything he can to get you to be anxious. The Word of God tells you to be content with what you have. What's the enemy trying to do? Get you to be discontent with what you have. See, those are, those are solid commands. This is where I want you. This is where you need to stay. He wants to get you to move. 
Whatever it is that God has told you to do, do it. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, but you just don't know what I'm facing. You see, because it's when we find our ability to stay within the borders that God has given us, then God gives us more freedom within those borders. There was a, uh, there's several places in the scriptures. If you go into the Old Testament, you will see this, where God said to the children of Israel, don't attack them. I have not given you their land. I have not given you them. Do not attack them. And the children of Israel had to go sometimes around them because God said, don't attack them. See, there was a border that God set up. He says, don't cross this line. Don't do that. Just to expand your horizon on this, you remember then when Moses sent the 12 spies in? He gave them a job description, and folks, that was borders. This is what I want you to do. I want you to do this, 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 and this. And they did that, but then they also went beyond those borders to determine whether we are able to go and to do this. The enemy is always trying to get you to go beyond your borders. Here's what is amazing. When our children disobey the borders that we have laid out, how patient are you with them? And yet, how patient do you want God to be with you? See, we fully understand our anger and our disappointment when our children have violated a border, a restriction, a limitation that we put on them. You can go out and play with your friends, but be home at 6 o'clock. And so I went out and played with my friends, but I didn't get home till 7.30. See, a person who respects the border gets home at 5.55 or 5.50. Mom, I'm home before you ask me to be. See, I'm respecting those borders. See, God needs to know that you respect the borders. As we get into the series, you're going to find out some things in the area of prayer that many Christians have done, which is why their prayers are not being answered. The enemy is going to try and get you to move. He's going to try and get you to violate the borders. And folks, he understands if I can get you to violate the borders that God has set up, I have disarmed you in some other areas of your life. But you see, there's a lot of Christians who don't understand that. And they think, I can violate whatever border I want to over here, but when I need faith for healing, it's there. What do you mean, borders and limitations? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God is able to do more than I can imagine. You have not understood your God. Which is why our prayers are having a difficult time. God has never made it hard for us to discern between what is hidden 
and what is not. But we have complicated it because sometimes I want to do something. Even though it looks spiritual, it may not be what God wants me to do. And to move into that particular area is to move myself out from underneath the pillar. And if I move myself out from the pillar, I'm no longer under God's protection. I'm no longer able to follow His leadership. And a whole lot of things can go wrong in my life that God never intended and never wanted. Would you all stand up with me? This morning is our communion Sunday. This is the day we set aside to remember what God has done in sending Jesus Christ as the Son. There is so much in the area of even borders in the ministry of Jesus. But here on this night, this is the last night he was with his disciples and he broke the bread before the supper. And he said, this represents my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because he knew we would forget. This kind of thing would not hang on in our remembrance. And the enemy would try and take us to places that the borders would not let us. Or he would take us to places and not fully fulfill the borders. Just like Israel never fully took all the territory that God said would be theirs. Understand the thing from the enemy. He wants to keep you from what you should have and he wants you to have what you shouldn't. Remember his, his words to Eve. God knows that you will not surely die. But he knows in the day that you eat of it, you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. That was an area that God had marked off for them. I don't want you knowing good and evil. I just want you knowing good. Somehow they thought it would be better to know evil too. The borders that God has for us are there for our protection, are there for our good. If we learn what they are and operate within them, we will find out that we will have a lot more freedom in the land which, in which we dwell. As we take the bread, let's remember that Jesus was, his body was given for us upon his body. Let's put our diseases, our sicknesses, our aches, our pains, they were all put upon him. As we eat together, let's remember what it is that he did. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. In the old covenant, blood just covered up in the new covenant. 
We were the donkey that was bought back, that was redeemed. You don't have to add anything to it. We just accept what it is that he did. Let's drink together and remember the awesome forgiving power of Jesus' blood. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that in your word we can learn about borders and limitations and restrictions all for the purpose of learning how powerful, how fulfilled, and how totally awesome this life can be. The enemy is always trying to entice us to get us to go to places that God has said don't go there. And Father, we want to learn from your word what those areas are. We can refrain from going beyond the borders that you have set up and to stay in operation where you placed us. I thank you for it and give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Victor. Good morning, brethren. So happy to be in church with all of us today. And um, it's always a good thing to have um, the church gather together, um, sharing love, um, hear the word of God as, you know, pastor has given it to us today, and um, grow in the word. Uh, there were a lot of things I learned while he was teaching. Um, I'm... I'm Believing and trusting that we all um, had one or two things that the Holy Spirit ministered to us um, in the course of the message. So let's go back, spend more time in it, um, staying within the boundaries of uh, the provisions that God has given to us. Amen. And today we have a lot of praise reports, and um, it's a good thing that God is ministering to us and reaching out to us. Uh, we always want to hear those good news so that we can all be strengthened by them and continue the good work that God has called us to do. Amen. Otani said, I want to thank God for my successful soccer tournament yesterday. I um, I placed first, and I'm happy to have improved each game. Hallelujah. I think the, the team came out um, the first in the tournament, and he was the one that scored them the goal that gave them the medal. Glory to God. So we thank God for that testimony. Praise said, I want to thank God for a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Hallelujah. And a blessed year. Also thankful for the worship team and their hard work. Amen. You know, praise. Just remember that we are always happy to have you with us. Um, we are going to miss you again as we go back to complete the remaining part of your academic year. Uh, the Bacons are very thankful for Noni and Pop-Pop for watching Chenzo this past week. While we took Lizzie to New York, we had a lovely time in New York and I'm um, so blessed to see Lizzie so happy. And they enjoyed uh, the afternoon tea, the shows and the shopping. And uh, very importantly, Lizzie even used some of her allowance to give money to a poor man who is ministering to the poor. And she brought such a smile to the man. Thank you, Nini, uh, Noni and Pop-Pop for allowing us to spend this time as we will always cherish it. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Pastor, and thank you, Sister Connie. <laughs> Sister Alexis, thanking God for his protection as I was able to avoid a very bad car accident on the night of the Thanksgiving. We thank God for the miracle. Amen. Amen. Um, we, uh, we have a prayer request here for Bobby. I would need prayer for some trouble in the stomach. And we give thanks also because the word of the Lord has made us know that if we are sick, we have a provision in Christ. So we give God thanks for the deliverance. We give God thanks for the healing on Bobby in Jesus name. Amen. And I have another big um, letter here addressed to Zoe Christian Fellowship. You can see it's still very sealed. So I'm going to open it before us. Uh, maybe we'll read it together. Amen. All right, so this is to you all, to Pastor Steve, Sister Connie, and my very Zoe Church family. I am so grateful to all of you for your prayers, words of comfort, and acts of kindness during my mother's illness and her passing. They kept me strong during a, t a tough time. Thank you also for how you made my home feel my mom feel at home in the few months um, when she was here with us. I am truly blessed to be part of such a close-knit body of believers. Hallelujah. And this is coming from our very sister, Vanessa. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we want to thank the church for the, the, the comfort, the joy we share together um, as a family. In that same spirit, uh, most of us might have received a text message within the week about our beloved brother, Luther, that passed away on Friday. Um, the funeral, um, funeral will be um, at Anders Deadwellers Funeral Home. Uh, that is at, uh, 130 East Broad Street, Southerton, um, at about 2.30 p.m. this Friday. Um, as a custom in the church, we encourage us to uh, be together with our brother, bro, Ray, um, strengthen the family and stay with them, share love together with them. Uh, Paul told us that we shouldn't mourn like those who have no hope, you know, because um, us is not just that we died, we, we slept so that we can raise up in, um, in eternal life with Christ Jesus. So, that is the joy we have that our brother that has, was here with us for a good number of years has gone to be with the Lord. And one of those days we shall be with him to depart no more. Hallelujah. So after the funeral, we'll come back to the church to have the repast. God bless us all. And um, let's spend time sharing in love and fellowship before we get back home. Amen. <laughs> 